I see that the red record light is on yet again, and that means that for the first time, uh, we are happily uh, live. Uh, as you can see, we've got uh, Donald Hayes here. He is a uh, collector, a pop culture historian, and uh, the last one, which we're going to really... Uh, dig into bite into maybe so speak, bon right? voyage mm. so uh so i am steve your host here on the show 713 and we are super excited again to be live for the first time hope everybody uh enjoys it and we are uh gonna get started by formally welcoming donald hayes how's it going donald it's going well steve it's nice to be here thanks for having me on oh we are glad to have you on so um Let's uh, let's kind of uh, level set. There's a lot of meat in that uh, that description. You, any one of those could be something on its own. Sure. And you are one person, correct? Yes. Are, Still, <laughs> okay. yes. You are one person. Um, I killed the other half of the twins in the <laughs> womb, so it's just me. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have to do another follow-up episode on that. But Again, how uh, how are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how okay. you came to be these three things, and and if there were things that maybe preceded it to kind of level set. You want sure. To talk about uh, well, mostly if you're interested in the the Bun Voyage, the the, the cheeseburger tour, if you will, of Greater Houston, um, it mostly began as interest in that disappearing architecture of old burger shacks, burger hut, burger barn. Uh, dairy barn, those sorts of things that at one point were very, very common. Um, and what you learn is by traveling around greater Houston, there are still a few of those places left. And so I was very interested in visiting those places and taking photographs of the building to kind of preserve that. Cause that gets into the cultural historian part of it, you know, preserving that, uh, digitally. And uh, then I needed a better reason to just drive around Houston. I thought, well, if you could combine <laughs> the, the visit with actually doing it on your lunch hour and having a cheeseburger, uh, I thought that was a decent idea. That, that's, and, that seems like it would be. I mean, right, that in and of itself, right? again. Who doesn't like a good cheeseburger? <laughs> uh, so you can begin with that. And I thought I would just do it at once, you know, one a day for 30 days in, in the month okay. of August. I actually started... Uh, on August 2nd, but because August has 31 days, I'll end up with a set of 30 and maybe a bonus. I have one restaurant that was on my list initially, and I did not realize that they were out of business. Oh, wow. And so I've been there, and I took that, the picture of that building, but I haven't been able to have their burger. So so we'll see. I think people like it. I'm, right. I'm getting not a ton of likes. I, I don't have a lot of followers and things of that nature, but um, I've had people tell me offline, much like you yourself... <laughs> saying, hey, I think this is kind of a cool thing, or I'm going to follow in your footsteps. I have a friend who's doing the same thing now in Dallas. Oh, wow. Uh, I have a local friend who is kind of following in my wake. He's visiting the places I'm recommending. Okay. And you are familiar with uh, a certain documentary, Supersize Me. Yes. So are you concerned? Um, That's, uh, you know, I've had several people, they tend to be older than you, Steve. It tends to be the senior citizens that are most worried about my health and my weight. Um, So far, okay, we're 18 days into it. So far, I've only gained about a pound. And what I've said to them in response is, I really don't want to know what's happening physiologically in order to make that possible. Eat a cheeseburger and fries, sometimes a malt with it. Ooh. Every day for 18 days so far, and yet I've only gained a pound. I'm not certain what's happening there. I'm just going right. to ride the wave because the results are the results. Right. And then a lot of times you hear people say, like, whenever they do something, uh, you know, I've never felt better. I, I, I've never, you know, I'm sleeping like, you know, and, is, and are, you, are you having great dreams? That is the case. Uh, it's funny that you did not do any sort of pre-interview with me because I would have told you that, shockingly, I feel great. I really? I feel great. You, um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, people all have also said, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of having a burger every day? And there was one point so far where I didn't feel like I was excited when I sat down to eat it. 
But I got over that very quickly. I got over it, and it's been more of a, almost a high each day. Oh wow! To to go because you get excited, right? It's a new sure. place, and it's you know, and it fits with the latest in the model and all those kind of things. And so it's been it's actually been great. Man, that is amazing. Um, in regards to the burger, do you have a certain way that you like? A lot of people, you know, they talk about the medium rare. Right. The rare, right. some people like because you get the nutrients. Uh, some people don't like it because, you know, they worry about the health sure. aspect of that. Sure. Are you, how are you getting your burger? I, I'm not a burger connoisseur. I'll start with that. So oh, okay. I have always liked my burgers very plain, meat and cheese, uh, mayo, mustard, ketchup. And I thought, the, since we're into the methodology of this whole thing, Steve, um, I thought I would order the burger that way everywhere. And it's kind of the equivalent, of, a friend of mine said, it's kind of like ordering a cheese pizza. You sort of want a level set at that restaurant's original burger, right? okay. whatever they say is their original burger. Right. Um, and, and that lasted for about two weeks. I was avoiding the, the bacon burgers and the chili cheese burgers and those sort of things. And mm -hmm. then I got turned on to a place called Tornado Burger. Uh, not sponsored, by the way. Tornado okay. yep, Burger yep, in Stafford, um, which is just outside of Houston. And it was recommended to me by an old school friend of my brother's. And it was wonderful. It was onions, <laughs> garlic, and jalapeno baking you know, into, into the patty, into the meat. Right. And, and it was the best burger I have had so far. <laughs> <laughs> on the the bun voyage tour so i'm allowed to break my own rules i think is what i've the, the you know the answer i've arrived at i think that's fair enough i think that uh you know I, it almost sounds like you're doing kind of an atkins would you say that uh you well, know and that could the, be why you've only except for the bun and the fries <laughs> and the malt I mean, I, but there are there are some good proteins in uh, yeah, in the malt. Definitely, plenty so. of protein. I think I think part of it was um, I'm not really a, I'm not a picky eater per se. I just like what I like, and I like things mostly plain. So I would eat Subway almost every day. Oh wow! And so that's not really a dramatic change from the amount of bread and the amount of calories and the amount of fat and all that sort of thing. So my now I'm not going to tell my cardiologist that I did any of this. <laughs> Well, he's gonna, he know. may know now. I mean, I know. we don't. I don't know. We don't have a lot of followers, but, but I'll uh, worry about that after August. <laughs> and uh, and it's only one time at one place, right? I mean, you're not. Uh, are you not repeating like anybody repeat business? So. No, although I'm tempted. I'm tempted with tornado. Oh, there have been some famers. Or something yeah. Like so also within the 30 days, I didn't have 30 restaurants coming right out of the gate, and so part of it to me was I wanted friends to recommend to me places I had no idea existed. Okay. And so that's really the, the organic part of it that's kind of taken over for this back half of the month is I'm out of places. I'm certainly out of places I can reach within the, the hour that I have at my office. Uh -huh. And so I've got a plan, you know, how am I going to get to Rosenberg to go to their little burger? Oh, wow. Oh, so yeah. that's part of it. You Correct. got it. The hour. Correct. Okay. Yeah. That's so, this is great. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's fun. Um, it's mostly been me eating alone, which is not any different than than my normal lunch hour. Uh, <laughs> but it's, every once in a while, I'll have like a special guest star. Somebody else will say, "Hey, I've been meaning to go with you." Oh, and, nice. And, and, and since you're going to this one nearby, or my wife and I went to Galveston, oh. and we had a we had a burger at the Gumbo Diner down on <laughs> Seawall, and uh, had their hangover burger. So very oh. very different from the plain cheeseburger. Certainly, so, yeah. All kinds of stuff on that one. And uh, is that part of it? The, so the journey of just kind of doing this on your own? I mean, I know you said you've had some guests, but, uh, you know, what uh, what happens, you know, you get to the end of the month? Or is there any chance that this will continue beyond? Are oh, you sticking with? So I've had a couple of people ask me, what what is next? Is there a taco tour, for example? Oh, I, I can recommend some burger, of those. <laughs> right down the street, same street, Murphy Road. Um, they also operate uh, Tornado Taco. Ooh. And it's, I know, right? You say, ooh, taco sounds good. <laughs> Taco's sounds not so really good. my thing, though. So, and so I, I intend to, this will be it. This will be it after okay. this 30 days. Well, I love it. 
and uh, and it's been a, a, a fun to look at it on your uh, site because you do kind of go over and talk about each kind of right you know thing. So I would recommend right. anyone follow. And uh, what is your uh, handle if someone did want to follow you? You can mostly find me at Facing Backwards, oh. Facing Backwards on Twitter and Instagram. Of course, Donald Hayes on Facebook. Um, and, and I'm really doing the Bun Voyage strictly on Instagram, and it's auto-populating to Facebook. So you can see it all there. Nice. You can search for the hashtag Bun Voyage. It's a little, you know, I love clever wordplay. And so uh, a <laughs> twist on the, the, the French Bon Voyage with the hamburger bun. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Excellent. Yeah. Well, you've certainly thought of everything. And was this thought out, or was it really kind of woke up and said, you know, uh, sometimes it's just good to brush your teeth with the opposite hand, you know? Absolutely. That's, I, I've never heard it described that way, but that is absolutely <laughs> what it was. One of those things that just tickles the back of your mind. Oh, I, I need to make time to do that. Wouldn't that be cool if we did that or if I did that? And just try it. Just try it and see what happens. And no matter what, I, I've had a great burger every day <laughs> in the month been... of August. And then I've also got pictures of the inside and the outside of these little places. And sometimes I'll, today I, I ate at uh, Stanton City Bites oh, just nice. outside of downtown. Right. And that is a family run establishment. And that family has been in that building. It started as a grocery store in 1961. And I was served by Jonathan, the grandson of the original owner. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. So you get a little bit of some of the histories on the walls and some is in the people. And it's just, I don't know. I like all of it because I love the storytelling aspect of it. Well, I love it. Uh, if you wanted to equate this interview to kind of a bun, since we're keeping it, or, a, you know, mm -hmm. just kind of a burger in general, I think mm -hmm. that that is the top bun. Top That's, bun, okay. So, so now let's kind of get to the meat, if you will, and let's talk about your collecting. Okay. So I know that that's something that you've done, and I know that there's a couple of stories, but kind of give a little bit, what is it about collecting uh, that tickles you, to continue that word, and, sure. uh, and you know, where is it kind of taking oh, you? Oh, I was, I was so tempted to volley it back to you and say, well, tell me, Steve, what part of my collecting is the most <laughs> interesting to you, personally? Okay. I'm a rock and roll guy, though, so if I were to start anywhere other than 80s photo sleeve vinyl and, and 45s, you know, probably be remiss. So I'm going to start with that. Excellent. Um, that is a I, good a, choice. I'm a thrift shopper, and Houston is a magnificent thrift market, uh, and has been for a long time. You would think maybe right now, okay, sure, COVID, everybody's been at home, everybody's cleaning up their act and turning loose of junk, and some of that is true. Uh, but just Houston, the kind of market that it is, where um, you know housing is affordable and and People have access to all kinds of amazing things, 30 minutes in any direction, and you have older neighborhoods butting right up to, or, or regentrified sometimes within the same neighborhood. And my office is in Midtown, so you're right there around River Oaks, uh, and there's a Goodwill store on Westheimer. And if you walk in Ooh, that nice. store, you can kind of feel the energy of those surrounding neighborhoods. Um, the Montrose neighborhood and the River Oaks oh, neighborhood yeah, and Heights so neighborhood. Much. Yeah, there's a yeah, lot going there's on There's so there. much great stuff. And a lot of it ends up on the shelves at Goodwill. And so, you know, I, I have way too many collections. Collections <laughs> of all sorts of different stripes. My, what I would consider my core fandoms. Um, I'm a comic book collector. Have been since I was very little. Um, Star Wars is a big one for me. Oh, wow. Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. Lord of the Rings. Um, for a long time, I said I was not a vinyl collector. Uh, I didn't have a record a turntable, anything like that. Um, but the appeal of the 80s as kind of this romantic <laughs> decade, when we had, you and I, as 80s kids, had the best of everything. The 80s was amazing. I, I think we knew it. Like It didn't take us long to kind of lament for the, you know, the great music of 84 and 85 and that kind of thing. Um, and 80s, of course, is back in a huge, huge way now. Um, and so I had two fellow collectors who their bread and butter was vintage stereo equipment and vinyl. And so when I'd go out, I'd look for things that would appeal to them, and they'd do the reverse for me. Board oh, games, nice. video games, etc. right? But sometimes I'd take a picture of things, send it to them. They're like, ah, I've already got that. I don't need that one. 
Oh, bummer. Uh, right. Yeah, you would think. Except <laughs> then, as a collector, you go, well, it's too good for me to, I can't leave it on the shelf. Some other schmo's going to come in here and buy that. And so that's the collector's curse. You end up with a, a, a growing new collection that seems to grow on the daily. Every time you walk in a thrift store, you know, once you're spread up across that many collectible areas, there's always something. There's always something you can find. Right. So that is interesting. So it's kind of, it seems like it's kind of a little bit of an ebb and flow of first you find it, then you think, do I need it? Or does anyone else that I know need it? And then it's like, no, those boxes didn't get checked. But what if someone else had it? Oh, the the magic, Steve, is in the what if. Uh, You know, I have a daughter that's in theater. And so they're always looking for props. Um, Our local high school theater happens to be doing a production of Chicago right now. And so I have a collection of phones, of the phone, rotary dial phones that you and I grew up with. Oh, nice. Yeah, those are good. And everything. And um, what are you going to do with them? What do you do with a box <laughs> of rotary phones? Well, you hope that they do a, not a production of Chicago because you need their, you know, hello, oh, yeah, no, it's too far back. That's what they would want for that period. Uh, but you hope at some point they do something <laughs> that, that falls within, you know, the range of things that you might happen to have in storage. And then you've got it right there at your, at your fingertips. <laughs> Other than that, I think you hope um, that you just morph into a cultural museum of some kind that somebody says, you know, I, I want to put on a, a, a display at our museum of Dungeons and Dragons oh, nice. you know, gaming yeah. equipment. What, sure. what do you have? And I've done that. I was able to contribute to a, a very small regional museum in the state of Louisiana that was doing a, an event called Chaos Theory. And every year, Chaos Theory has a slightly different twist. And one year they did Dungeons and Dragons. And so I had all this oh, stuff wow. to bring over and display and, okay. and then it goes back into storage. It goes into the dark, you know. <laughs> uh, you keep you keep all your goodies away from the the big three: heat, light, and moisture. Oh, okay. And so as long as they you know stay there, and Harvey doesn't get to it, or El- <laughs> you know uh, Ice Storm Elsa doesn't come calling for you, then you, you have that at some day. So, uh, are you good at inventorying these on paper, or are you just got it all up here and just you know? Mostly, I have I have a um, an Excel type inventory of comic books mm-hmm. because I have so many. Uh, I used to be able to tell you, yes, definitively what I owned and what I didn't own, what the right. holes were, what the voids are in any given collection. But after a while, especially as we age, I mean that skill disappears, yeah. disappears. <laughs> and so I I I really mostly have it in my head, and I wish I had more of a an organized inventory system. Lots of, I'm having things recommended to me all the time, apps that people use to, to track all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I just haven't personally delved into that. Right. Yeah. So that is good. And I think vinyl. So do you like the vinyl, the, the art or the, the audio that's on the vinyl or is it kind of more finding a rare one, like a Ronnie, Ronnie James Dio? Yeah, no, it's, I could tell you definitively, it's not the rarity, although I like to think I can recognize, I can spot something that is out of the ordinary. If you were to go out and thrift today and start trying to collect vinyl, um, I hope you like Lawrence Welk. I hope you like, um, my grandmother Mantovani or something that that's what (laughs) you'll by and large, you pick up a stack of records at a thrift store. That's what you're going to find. Classic rock, on the other hand, very, very difficult to find. You have to luck into it. A lot of it is timing. Things are coming right out to the to the thrift store floor. Um, and I thought of you just, I don't know, a week ago <laughs> because I visited uh, a Goodwill in the old town and country area oh, of yeah. town. And I look over and there's a bin, a blue bin sitting on the floor of this Goodwill. And I can see 45s in it, photo sleeve 45s. Okay, so like a fly drawn right to it and I start looking through it and it's got Joshua Tree and it's got war oh, and it's nice. got, I mean great stuff great condition a lot of it still with uh, with the with the plastic on it oh wow and yeah that's pretty a rare. lot of it marked uh, like UK releases oh, pounds yeah. on the on the cover a sticker with pounds on the cover. oh man and and they were dirt cheap and yeah. and I think out of everything I left a little um, 
Oh, Bronski beat. I left Bronski beat. I was like, ah, I don't need Bronski beat, but I took the Eurythmics and I took, <laughs> oh, I took wow. Howard Jones because I was a, oh, I was a Howard yeah. Jones fan. You can look at the menu, See, but I, you yeah, just can't. You just can't eat. Yeah, I mean that. <laughs> Mister Positivity is what they call him. I don't, I don't know if you ever listen to satellite radio, but I do a lot of listening to satellite radio. Eighties uh, on eight. Oh, nice. Um, what's uh, the cassette era classic rock? Classic rewind. Classic. Oh, uh, wow! Yeah, vinyl. And, uh, and those, uh, so those artists, I'm saturated in it all the time with right. those three presets. Wonderful. And so I get excited when I see it out in the store and I'm able to own it. Got it. Got an Ario Speedwagon high infidelity today. Oh yeah, man. It's got to roll the with the changes. Come on, crank there that. Go. There you go. So, um, so that kind of sets the story of kind of what a typical, you know, day is when you're going, if you could, uh, talk about the day that you kind of walked in and you found a yearbook, and I may not be getting the right order, but uh, you kind of see something there and then see something else and yeah. then decide. So let, yeah. let's, uh, you, all of a sudden, you, you walk in, you hear that ding, 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 right. and then what happens? Right. So the story you're talking about, that's happened to me more than once, but oh, okay. the story you're referencing um, was at a Goodwill outlet, and I'll take 30 seconds. I'll tell you the difference. Oh, you can take all the time you want. All right, so Goodwill... If you're used to a traditional Goodwill, what they call a select store, that's where you walk in and they're probably in an old TJ Maxx or something like that, right? And there's shelves and there's product on the shelves and it's all very, very traditional price tags on everything. Goodwill outlet is something different and it's a model that the Goodwill company, which is based here in Houston, started about maybe 18 months ago, two years. Oh, wow. And they took this, the same brick and mortar store and they took all the shelves out of it. And so now the product comes rolling out onto the floor in these giant blue dumpster-like bins. Oh, wow. So if you ever see a post that I've said, we're on at the bins today, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, you got the and bins. The bins, right? It sounds sexy. It is not. It's <laughs> gross. It's disgusting. Okay, is the last thing you should be doing during COVID, right? Because you're digging with your hands through all these mostly clothes, mostly clothing is what shows up, but there's usually a bin that has housewares or books or right. And so I typically go for the books. Oh, uh, that's a good place to start. Yeah. It's less competitive. Oh, um, really? It breaks my heart that <laughs> books are literally thrown into these giant bins and it's the, it's their last hope. It's the last chance these books that you see are going to have a chance to be bought and be back on somebody's bookshelf. Oh, wow. Because after that, they're gone. Whatever Goodwill is doing, this is their uh, destination of last resort oh, my. for this stuff. And so back to the story. I walk in and I find a yearbook. And it's from the 80s. And it is from a high school in Alaska. That's a little bit too far out of my normal geographic range. I like to look for things that are close by, things that I, I didn't go to high school here, but anything in the greater Houston area, the older, the better typically, but anything is up for grabs. And so I looked at it, decided it wasn't for me, put it back in the bin. I go over maybe two aisles and you got a, a row of bins, maybe I think it's like 12 bins in a row. And then you go to no row, 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 all the way to the other side. I go two rows away. And there is a photo album. And again, that's, that's not incredibly uncommon to see a photo album at a Goodwill, but usually they're empty. But I look anyway, because it's a reflex, right? You <laughs> never know. The magic of thrifting is just that. You never know what's going to be there. And so I open this photo album, and it's got photos. Photos of a kid and his life in the 80s right? Jumping off. It looked like jumping off from a second floor railing, you know, that stupid stuff that we all did that somehow oh, yeah, we, no, definitely. yeah, we survived. I don't know, <laughs> but, but it had a name in it. And so that's, I mean, that's a little bit of, of, of evidence, right? Of dirt. It's a clue. Okay. So now the historian in me is like, okay, wait a minute. Let me figure out what's going on here. And I take the name and I go back to the, I saw something in it. Oh, it was, I think he had written his address and his address was Alaska. And I was Alaska. like, come on, come on. <laughs> so I go back to the yearbook two aisles away and open it up. And sure enough, high school in Alaska, all the inscriptions made out to James. James matches the photo album. Oh, wow. So now I've got him. And it's, it's a fairly uncommon name. I don't know if I'm, I may pull a blank on it. It's not yeah, really important. Yeah, but the good. thing is, 
I was able to look up that name, went down the street actually for a burger that day, believe it or not. It's long ago. It was more than a year ago, but having a burger and the power of the internet, I search his name and I get a hit. I get a name and I get a Pasadena address and I get a phone number. Oh, wow. Right? And so I call the phone number. The guy answers and I'm saying, <laughs> then you're stuck in that awkward space of now I have to explain to you this. And I even led with, okay, this is going to sound really weird, but just hear me out. <laughs> That's a good place right? to start. I'm yeah. out of Goodwill. I found this stuff. I think it belonged to you. And the guy says he wanted to see the, the pictures, I think, as far as I can remember. And then he says, I lost all of that stuff in a divorce. He said, I thought I would never see any of that stuff again. You have done me a real favor. Wow. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the golden yes. egg of collecting. And he said, Let, let's, let's, can, can we meet up? Can we meet? I said, absolutely. Come in. And, and we met just right over by the, the Paraland uh, police station right over there. Oh, nice. And made the switch. And uh, I asked him to pay it forward. He wanted to pay me for it. Oh, wow. Even though, I mean, it cost me 33 cents a piece, Steve. I mean, books are three for a dollar at the Goodwill out. It cost me 66 cents. And he was going to give me a hundred bucks. And I said, dude, pay that forward. Yeah. Right? That That's the kind of looking out that I would want someone to do for me. Oh, yeah. No, you most know? definitely. Good yeah. looking out, we used to say. So that's it. How long that's, had he been looking for that stuff? He, he never said, he had given up on it. He'd given it. He didn't really tell me how recent the divorce was or any of that. And I and I, did, I didn't want to pry. Yeah, you know. But uh, I got the sense that it was long enough that anything he'd been missing, he assumed was gone to the four winds. You know. Huh. And so for it to come back to him in that way, I think it it moved him. It moved me. Right. You know, to hear his response. And does that now? Does that like set the bar? Is that now going to be, you know, every time I find something, man, I wonder if it's going to end that? Or is it really just kind of, let me just kind of search and see where this goes? And- yeah, um, probably the latter, closer to the latter, because you don't, you can't plan for it. And the interesting thing there, and it's like looking for anything else, needle in a haystack, okay? So I don't go into thrifting expecting to see anything mm-hmm. in particular. Right, I have a I have a wish list in my head. Kiss Love Gun from 1977 <laughs> oh, is one. on that list, and I found it. I found oh, no it way. at a Goodwill. Yeah, with the with the inner sleeve and everything. <laughs> Didn't have the little cardboard gun, but otherwise it was great. And that was an, a big time influential album to me when I was growing up. Yeah, it was my one. first exposure to Kiss, and it was magnificent. Right, <laughs> and eventually I found one at Goodwill for I think it was. It's either dollar ninety nine or two ninety nine. I mean, wow. at that price, you know. Yeah, and do you just pause and think, why would anyone give this up? Mm. So yes, and what I have found over time, things that are personal in nature, and that can not just not just your yearbook from high school, but I found a set of. Judy Bloom, you know, Judy Bloom, the sure, author, yeah. writes a lot of that adolescent fourth grade nothing. fiction. Yeah, it tells her fourth grade nothing, super fudge, all that stuff. <laughs> Loved her growing up. I had a whole set of the Dell Yearling paperback Judy Bloom stuff. My fourth grade teacher, hi, Mrs. Kennedy, uh, read that to us <laughs> when we were in fourth grade, and I loved it. And I found a set of Judy Bloom books uh, at a regular Goodwill, but they were all on a bookshelf. And as I started to take them out, I always look inside the front cover. So, A, they were all signed by the author. And B, that author had written a personal inscription in each book, and I think I had four or five, to, uh, I think her name was Judy. Yeah. And so I found Judy, and I gave her her books back. (laughs) And, And more often than not, what you find out is it was an accident. Those things were never supposed to go to Goodwill. Oh, I think in Judy's case, she she had a, a sitter or something that was helping them with a, like a garage clean out or something. They were, they were moving and they right. needed help and they had some unskilled labor there helping them and things got put in the wrong box. Oh, wow. And off they go. And you tend to just, you know, you count your lumps, you take the L at that point. Dang, I wish I had that back. <laughs> but then you get to... You know, if the magic is right, you get to be the person that goes back, hand delivered Judy's books to her in Missouri City. Wow. So. And uh, in regards to, uh, I guess, 
you know, like other stories? Is there like another, like, what do you think would be a quintessential? Like for me, that that's those two stories I think are, are quintessential, but you've done more stories maybe than you've shared. Mm. And I haven't necessarily seen all the ones you've shared, but, but uh, in regards to, you know, throughout this whole thing, I mean, yeah. Uh, and then I guess it's, it may be even kind of a same part, but you know, what kind of, what is the real heart? Like where, where is the collecting? So the, the collecting is tied to, you know, the returning of memories to people is important. And so historical preservation is also important to me. And a lot of people look at what I collect and they say, ah, you're trying to relive your childhood. You're buying up everything that you had, everything that you wanted and never had. And there is an element of truth to that only in that I had an amazing childhood, right? We weren't wealthy by any standard, but we had access to some great stuff. My dad is the one who kind of fostered our love of comic books, got us comic book subscriptions that came in the mailbox every month, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was important to him because as a, a young man in the mid-60s, he went into the Navy in 1967 and his mother, he had a great comic book collection. If you think about what he might have had, a Marvel collector Ooh. in the early to mid 60s come on Ooh. captain america fantastic four spider-man yeah, uh, right where it all started it would pay yeah. for a child to go to college these days easily <laughs> and his mother put them all out the curb while he was in the navy oh wow. and he never fuck he never forgot that and he never really forgave her for that oh wow and so that becomes a linchpin of his connection to us as kids my brother and i collecting keeping the collection and it being valuable to us, not in the monetary sense, but that's ours. That's our thing that we build together. And so all of it is tied into even the burger tour is kind of a nostalgic, um, not a pining for the old days and wishing we could return to that and give you my America back. It's not that. It's it's a celebration of those those common threads that we were able to enjoy as kids in the 60s, 70s, 80s right? Just trying to rebuild that feeling of, oh, remember what that was like to go to a soda fountain or go to a drive-in movie or whatever. Yeah. And that makes me think about, is this trying to hold on to analog? And as we move more and more into the digital world, and does it bother you that we're becoming more digital and this is a way to kind of keep your hand in? Yeah, not at all. That My quote unquote record collection that I was not supposed to ever have began with a collection of laser discs. Oh, you remember yeah. the, yeah, those yeah, are, right. Yeah. And so those are, it's an archaic technology. It didn't even really last in the marketplace that long or laser discs I'm talking about, but they happen to be exactly the same size as an LP. And I thought, Oh, how cool would that be? I don't have a lot of room at my house for like movie posters, you know, yeah. the, 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 the really big movie posters. Um, but I thought I could do that. I could collect laser discs and I could put laser discs up on my wall oh, yeah. in an album frame and they'd fit. And then I actually do have a laser disc player. If I ever got the yearn oh. to actually play one, I could play it. <laughs> nice. But that led into the, the art and everything that's on a, you know, a laser disc or a, or an, a vinyl album. But what I should tell you in terms of it going away or preserving that archaic technology vinyl's back baby in oh, a no, big big strong. way yeah, for sure you go to walmart or you go to target right now yeah, there's I'll a whole a section yeah. yeah and it's all the good stuff right they're not going to release the the dogs they're going to give you you know journey's greatest hits and they're going to give you the joshua tree and under a blood oh, red yeah. sky right and so you can have the best of both worlds right now. You can go pay the 20, 25 bucks and right. get the new pressed vinyl collectors, you know, love gun. You can get the orange vinyl <laughs> press. Oh, wow. That's yeah. right. They did do colored ones. That's I forgot right. about that. So, but again, so you're good with digital. You, you're not, uh, nothing against you know, digital at all. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, uh, comic collectors that I know have gone to the, the, the reading of digital comics and, that's more of a personal loss to me because I think we will come to a point where making things out of paper and distributing them at comic book stores is is no longer viable. 
Right. You know what I mean? I, we're not quite there yet, but it's kind of the same. If you think of newspapers, oh, the sure. newspaper business and where it is right now, people have been saying newspapers dead for the last, I don't know, 20 years, and you can still get a newspaper. Yep. So it's not overnight, but there is a tactile thing that when you open an old book or an old comic book, and I've, I've spoken to um, Rotary Clubs and things like that about it in the past, is bringing them some of the old comics and having them close their eyes and open a comic book and that slightly sweet, decayed smell of old paper <laughs> that you get is a very sensory experience. And, and it's, it's enjoyable, right? It takes you because smell is so intimately connected mm -hmm. to memory. It takes you right back to what it used to be like to hide out in your attic space and be reading, you know, comic books because <laughs> mom thought you were studying or whatever. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I love what you do in regards to the, uh, collecting and, uh, I think the stories and I hope that, uh, you know, as you go forward, you will be bringing more, uh, wonderful trinkets that have been lost, whether intentionally or unintentionally, mm -hmm. and brought back home. Mm -hmm. Sure, it's a, a pretty moving moment. You always sure. it, the looking never stops. You know what I mean? The just having that eye on things. I'm not in there to make money. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I'm not a flipper. I'm not really a reseller. I have resold some things that don't belong to my core fandom, but that's not really what it's about. And so when you free yourself of that, then you're just there as a as a dispassionate observer. And you're looking at a bin full of history, so to speak, right? Some very, very recent history, but you never know. I found a, a dictionary from the late 1800s. Oh, wow. It was the, it's the single oldest thing I have ever found at a Goodwill <laughs> and cast into a bin. Can you imagine taking something 120 years old and throwing it? Anything, doesn't it? Book, anything. And just tossing it aside and hoping you can get maybe 33 cents for it. Right. That doesn't. That doesn't seem right to me. No, I agree with that. So then we move now to the, I guess we probably should have started at the bottom of the burger, but. Uh, That's right. <laughs> I've never been in food service, Steve, but I assume you have to start with that bottom bun. But uh, the third thing that you do uh, that is very uh, unique and uh, certainly a very cool thing is uh, you call yourself a pop culture historian. historian. Right, okay. right. So I know of your love of certainly sports. Is that, is that another category or is that in the pop? Uh Actually, I, it's related, but I'm not really a sports fan. I know people who are much, much bigger sports fans than I am. So again, it, it tends to lend itself more to the architecture, the Astrodome, right? The memories of growing up, as a kid in Southwest Louisiana, where we had no professional baseball team. And so what we could tune in on AM radio was we got to hear the 1986 Astros kind of blow it there, right? Yeah, we all a... went through that. <laughs> it bled across state lines, that damage that was done to us. Um, but Houston being two and a half, three hours away from where I grew up was accessible, Right, we made a good number of trips over the years to Houston, and so Astro World and the Astro Dome and the Greater Astro Domain around it was—it was our Disneyland. It was a mythical place to us, mm -hmm. and I never had the experience that a lot of my fellow historian friends have had, where they lived here. They lived down the freeway in. Pasadena and Deer Park and LaPorte and they they could get a season pass and they went 50 times one summer. I don't have anything <laughs> like that. I went maybe 20 times, maybe. Right. But it made an impression. The park itself, the the imagination, the which I learned later. I didn't know as a kid, right? You don't know what who Judge Roy Hoffines was. Oh yeah, right. You right? hear the names, but you, yeah, yeah. You go to college at U of H, maybe, and you see his name on a building, and then you start to put together, oh, he was somebody of importance, and then you learn all the other things behind that story of how Houston came to even have the eighth wonder of the world and Astroworld and all these other great things, and so that collecting aspect is trying to preserve the memory of Astroworld what it was, what it represented to us, the great times that we had there, and uh, just kind of keep that alive. It's a weird thing that it, it seemed to me growing up to be so ingrained in Houston's personality. Yeah, I think the size. 37 yeah. years, 
1968 to uh, 2005, 37 years, and then it was gone. And you drive by it, and the bridge is still there. It's a bridge to nowhere. It's a dirt lot <laughs> where they, I think the rodeo uses it for parking. Yeah, I, think I they mean, do. it's absurd that we've not been able to do anything even close to that. You, you can talk about preserving it all you want. Six Flags made a business decision in 2005 to, to cast it off. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then nobody in the, what are we, the third or fourth biggest metro in the United States doesn't have a theme park like that? What's right. going on there? Huh. You know, and so that that piece of it is is trying to build backwards, um, and collect what I can. Mostly of the not not the tail end Looney Tunes stuff that doesn't speak to me personally as much. I don't have anything against it. Mm-hmm. It's just not my jam. But the early days, nineteen sixty eight to about nineteen eighty four. You know, they used to have my holy grail. You haven't asked this question, Steve. Shame on you. <laughs> my holy grail of collecting when it comes to Astro World is Astroworld's mascot, Marvel McFay. Oh. Okay, I don't know. I yeah. forgot about I'm Marvel. Gonna, I'm going to give you some space to sing his theme song. I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, so <laughs> Marvel not- McFay, very flamboyant, very, very 70s. Amazing. Concept uh, drawn by a guy named Roly Crump. Roly was an ex-Disney Imagineer, and Judge Hoffines got him as he did. He pulled artisans from all kind of different areas, right? <laughs> to create the original Astroworld concept in 68 and all those characters. And then a few years later, I think 70, 71, Marvel McFay was introduced at the Astrodome at a football game. Oh, wow. And he became, he was on the commercials and everything else. He was this <laughs> outlandish space gypsy. Kind of looks like Yosemite Sam, red hair, big red beard, but huge hat with tassels and, and gypsy clothing. Blank and, and, yeah. 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 So, and, and he had a stage show, Marvel McFay and his enchanted friends. <laughs> and then they also had Marvels that would walk around the park and take the pictures with you and stuff. Okay. So I have found out through the course of historical research that there were at one time three Marvel McFay costumes and the Six Flags company around 1984 phased out Marvel as the face of the park. And so all those heads and costumes and stuff that the kids wore, 18 and 19-year-olds that worked at the park, have said to me, I wore Marvel during the years of 76, 77. Oh, wow. Right? And so I've developed a list of everybody (laughs) that ever had that head on because that's how you build that story backwards to try and find out what is the last resting place of those three Marvel McFay costumes. So... I wish I had an amazing story to tell you about <laughs> on, walking into go. a Goodwill and finding the head of Marvel McFay. <laughs> that has not happened. But what has happened is in activity on various Facebook groups, a Facebook group called Astroworld Employees, a, a place where I don't even belong. I never work there. I'm a squatter there, but they allowed me in. Oh, wow. And so in asking about once a year, hey, does anybody know what happened to Marvel McFay? Several people said, we saw the costumes toward the end, and they were in a trash heap. They were destroyed. Oh, we think that some would be sad, and that is sad. But that sounds like a dream for you because it's somewhere out there, right? Yeah, the hope that it's some, <laughs> they they saw it wrong, or right after that, they, right after they saw it in the pile, somebody went and grabbed it. Right? You don't know, but the best evidence we have anecdotally is Marvel didn't survive. But here's the great part, Steve: is when I told this story. Most recently, I got a lady named Yvonne, I'm not going to say her last name, but Yvonne, who wore the head of another of Marvel's enchanted friends for seven or eight years. She wore the head of Harpo Pig. And guess what? She still had 30 years later in her attic. Oh, come on. The head of Harpo Pig. And she messaged me and said, I always wanted to do something with this, and I don't think it's ever going to happen. Would you like to have it? And I was like, tell me where you live. I'll be right there. I'll be right there. And sure enough, she met me at the door with this giant. And it's like a right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's larger than life. They all say Marvel was the biggest and Marvel was the heaviest. But imagine, even even 19-year-old Steve Garris wearing in the heat of (laughs) – Texas summer wearing this costume in this giant head and walking around and having to be personable. <laughs> I mean, crazy, right? But they did it. And most of the people that talked about it, they relished it. Oh, wow. They almost universally 
those were great times to them. They know they were part of something special right. that Houston had. So, yeah. So at some point, I'm going to show we have an Astroworld art show coming up. I don't know if you knew this or not, but here's the lead-in for it. There's going to be an Astroworld-themed art show. Oh. It's a free show. It's going to take place at St. Arnold Brewing Company, downtown Houston. Oh, yeah. Is uh, that near Sawyer Park kind of? Pretty or, close. Yeah. Pretty close. Um and it's going to be November 27th, 28th. It's the Friday and Saturday immediately after um, Black Friday, after oh. Thanksgiving. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's really got two facets. I'm working with Juan Salazar, who is the owner of Super Happy Incredible Toys in the Heights. Juan <laughs> is a toy guy, and he's also an Astroworld alum. He actually met his wife there oh, wow. working at Waterworld. So, again, oh, Astroworld Water owns a yeah, special place, yeah, special man. place in his memory. <laughs> And he paints. Juan is also a painter. Okay. And so he's painted amazing, I call it impressionistic, but I'm not an artist, but uh, of the Texas Cyclone and, oh, and, wow. and different things. He loves the the old school Astroworld logo that you and I probably are the most familiar with. It's mm-hmm. the one that has the stars at one end and it's Astroworld. Yeah. Um, that's the logo that is the most meaningful to him personally. So he's painted that. So Juan is going to connect with the art community and he's already done a lot of that. And there will be Astroworld themed art for purchase and then in the back room he's allowed me space to do a little astroworld mini museum so nothing for sale there no tchotchkes it's just going to be come in (laughs) look at the stuff let the memories wash back over you and then go back outside and have another beer oh this is amazing and when is it what's the day again november 27th and 28th okay yeah yeah i mean as a kid i i remember uh excalibur Oh, I loved Excalibur. Was was a uh, but then? Do you remember the second name? Yeah, uh, it was or no, Dex- rather the first name. The first name. Okay, Excalibur so, was second. Are you talking about Dexter Freebish? Nice. Yeah, Dexter Freebish electric roller me. ride. Um, I don't believe I ever went on it. Oh. It, it by the time I was of height to go on a roller coaster. Um, Dexter Freebish was gone. And you may know this. There's actually a band called Dexter Freebish. They spell it differently, but there's a Dexter Freebish band that kind of allows that memory to, to live on in a way. I do know that band. Very I, close I'm to sure that band. Yes, I'm sure so, you do. I'm sure you do. So <laughs> I, I never got to go on that. Um, I was terrified of Grease Lightning. I did not want to go upside mm. down. I, I, yeah, I never did I that didn't know one, the yeah. physics of how that much. worked. And it, but eventually I did them all. You know, I did what they had available. Right. Um, in my memory... Accelerate, you remember Accelerate? Sure. And uh and Excalibur were my two favorites. I would ride those oh, over man. and over and over and over. They were so good. It's Loved just, them. yeah, you'd kind of like this is a nice ride roller coaster, but then when it gave, you got down to the bottom and it just whipped you. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. And I have the entry exit sign for Accelerate. That's one of my <laughs> Astroworld memorabilia pieces and it's it's big. The biggest thing I've ever owned, uh I had a gondola from the Astro Way, the cabin that you got in that took you from one corner of the park way up high, second oh. second only to the Astro Needle yeah, in right. terms of how high you, you would go up in the park. And then it would land you over, I think it was you know Alpine Village on one corner and then like Oriental, they changed the name a couple of times, yeah. but Oriental Station or whatever they called it on the opposite end. And so for a period of time, I owned one of those. I bought one uh, from a local guy uh, who had bought trailers of stuff in 2005 from the auctions <laughs> and uh and then he dumped it in a field he just done uh, signs and that? cars and yeah he just put it out there as it was an investment he he really i love the guy but he doesn't have he doesn't have a love for the park right he did it as a as a business venture uh, but he was more than happy to sell me one of the gondolas which i then you know had somebody pressure wash and i had a nice. uh an upholstery company that's down on Highway 6 oh, that wow. is run by a guy who happened to be in the um, in the works department of Astroworld for 24 years. He was in parks nice. maintenance. So <laughs> nobody better to put you some new seats in your Astroway gondola than the guy who actually would have installed seats at the park. So that's some nice synergy, <laughs> right? Some definite, yeah, I'm getting some goosebumps right? over here. Right, right. Fun stuff. Wasn't there something about the Texas Cyclone was the biggest wooden roller coaster? Yeah, it was. It was modeled after um, a, a coaster from uh, New Jersey, okay. I believe. And at the time, like it, a lot of people think, Texas Cyclone was was an original ride at Astroworld. It was not. Uh, I believe it got there in '76. 
Um, but yeah, um, I think it was. It was the largest wooden coaster mm-hmm. at one time. I think time. there was something that like, yeah. Yeah. It would, it would bang you around. But oh, yeah. It was, oh, well, it was that was fun. part of it, though. Yeah. <laughs> the ba- you're paying for that amount of banging. <laughs> yeah, lots of, of lots of love for the, uh, for the Cyclone. I don't own too much Cyclone stuff. I had a, uh, had a matchbook that had the co- a shot of the coaster on one side and then the Texas Cyclone logo on the other. Uh, I let that go to a friend. Because uh, he had a 50th birthday, and his, oh, nice. yeah, and his wife was like, "What so do you kind, have?" And I'm like, yeah. "I've got this," and he'll love it. And I know he doesn't have it because he's just, he has uh, coveted my uh, matchbook before. He's oh, told no. me he wanted it, so I gave that to him. Um, but the chunks of wood, the yeah. same guy that I'm talking, the upholstery guy, has a chunk of wood um, with white paint flaking off of it that was oh, yeah. on the light the blue. Texas Cyclone. Yeah. yeah. What was the wood? Do you know the type of wood? I don't know a I lot don't of wood. Know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I endured a lot. Yeah. yeah, I I wish more of that stuff was like common knowledge. Like there was a a yeah. reference database. I'm sure people are going to say Google it. You know, what's yeah. the Wikipedia page say for Texas Cyclone? <laughs> uh, and it it might say it there, but that's the kind of thing that I I don't know. That's why I I don't call myself really a true historian, like a student of that kind of lore, because I I don't have all those facts. I'm more about the the feelings, the mm. memories, the recreation of a, you know, a, a setting, yeah. a scenario. Yeah, the visceralness. Yeah. yeah, I own Judge Roy Hoffheim's own Astroworld yearbook. Did you know that they made employee yearbooks for a period of time? No, I did not. Okay, so starting in 1973, before that, there was like an employee newsletter, and several people still have some of those. So very, very precious yearbooks and newsletters alike. Very precious to the people that work there, but. Starting in 1973, they published a yearbook, very much like a high school yearbook, but only the employees of Astroworld got them. And so you're talking about a scarce number to begin with, right? A very limited number that were made. And then of that, here you are, you know, 15 years, 16 years since the parks closed, but they stopped having yearbooks in the mid 90s. So if you went back to 1973, that's how old I am. That's my birth year, 73. So almost 50 years ago, these things were out there. If you find them, it's fairly rare that you find them in the secondary market, right? $200, $250, right? I got Judge Roy Hoffheim's own volume one of his yearbook with his name embossed on it. Um, because I, I heard about an auction. It was an online auction not that long ago, earlier this summer, at wow. a place out in Hockley. And they had Hockley. all this stuff. They had apparently come across some storage units with all kinds of stuff belonging to Roy Hoffheim's um, uh, second wife, I believe, Mary Frances. Oh, oh Mary Frances. And they had put all this, and it was amazing stuff, Steve. It was pure <laughs> Houston history for sale and at, at what I considered bargain prices. And so I, I'm not, in case my wife's listening, I'm not allowed to say how much I paid for the judge. It was not a thrift price that I paid, but I got the one. And now that, that one awesome. joins, I have five or six other yearbooks from different years. And now there's, there's a collection of those. And that's one of the things that I'm going to try to show at St. Arnold. If I can keep the, you know, the beers from yeah. being spilled on it, obviously it's not a museum setting, <laughs> it's not. but yeah, but I'd like people to know that those existed and have a chance to see that stuff. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that, uh, you know, I know someone that Dexter Freebish banned, but you know, there's also Travis Scott that has kind of embraced sure. Astroworld. I'm curious if you'd want to, you know, certainly seems like the mascot would be something cool to have <laughs> up on stage. He's oh, got yeah. his big festival. Oh yeah. Maybe would, he could, uh, I don't know, a McDonald's meal or something. I, I know of it <laughs> peripherally. I, I would... I will tell you straight out, I'm, I'm not a big, knowledgeable Travis Scott fan. Nothing against what he does. No, he's obviously a very talented artist. What I like about Travis Scott is he's a Missouri City kid. The whole reason he stated publicly that he released an album called Astroworld, and then he did an Astroworld music fest that had some of the same creative lineage. You could see mm-hmm. it in the way that the Astroworld music festival was presented 
is that core love, that memory that he had of going to the real Astroworld Park when he was a kid. And he's celebrating that, and he's making quite a pile of money off of it, too. (laughs) So I have nothing but love for Travis Scott. Now, what it's done in the collectibles market is something different, because Um, anything associated with the the word Astroworld has dramatically escalated in price. Although his album was three years ago, and so now it's, it's somewhat receded. Right. But you still, if you go, if you go on Craigslist, you go on Facebook Marketplace, and you look for Astroworld, you probably have five Travis Scott related items mm-hmm. before you ever get to a vintage. You got to throw the word oh, vintage I in there or something yeah, to, to help you with that search. It out, so. Yeah. So mixed bag to me, it, it brings it kind of back to the zeitgeist a little bit. People start to talk about Astroworld a little more, and they reminisce. But there's also a lot of um, ah, that's not the real. That's not the real Astroworld. <laughs> There's always a purist angle to everything. Every right? time. It's like, Every oh, time. Because the humans get involved and they want to ruin it and they want to get their opinions. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Can't, you know, you want the love, right? The love. Some way for us to show that love. The, the judge is never going to see it unless he's looking down on it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so it's just for us. It's just for us that um, if we can re- recreate any part of that feeling that we had in going and just being in the park for a day. Maybe you were of age that you got dropped off. So you didn't have to even hang with the parents that day. I mean, that's, oh, that's yeah. a visceral, that's a visceral thing. I've got one more great story. You want to hear it? <laughs> I love it's an it, Astro world story. Yes. Okay. When I was a kid, spring of 1990, I was a band kid and every, every fourth year, our band took a trip to Disney world, but every other year, out of four, you went to Astroworld. And so in the spring of 1990, as a junior, I came, I rode a bus over from the Lake Charles, Louisiana area, came to Astroworld for a day. I hung out with one of my band buddies, and we had the 80s teenage boy dream come true. We met two good-looking girls at the park. <laughs> this is okay? great. I had, for whatever reason... I had a skill that I could throw a hula hoop over a dog. It was a Spuds McKenzie. You remember Spuds McKenzie? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Right? Spuds McKenzie sitting on a block of wood. I had the right something, right? The right stuff to throw this hoop and nail it. And so I ended up with three. The, the limit was two. But we actually took a break and came back. And some a new kid was at the, at the booth running the, the game. And so we had a friend take the other two away. And I won a third one. So these two girls, I mean, they probably scammed us. Let's be honest. They saw us toting around these stuffed animals. And they're like, ah, oh, these guys got it happening. Let's see. And sure enough. They left with our Spuds <laughs> McKenzie's later in the day. But the rest of the day, Steve, they rode rides with us. Nice. And it was amazing, right? And I had no game as a teenager. <laughs> so this is a, this is thrilling, right? This is a day. And and when when we're breaking up, so to speak, at the end of the day, do you remember how when you'd first come into Astroworld, there'd be a, an employee with a big camera oh, right yeah, there yeah. in Americana Square, and they take your picture, sure. and they put it on a little tiny, like a Viewmaster size slide, <laughs> and they put in a little keychain that you got to look up to the light. Okay, so we the girls had done that. They had a keychain. Okay. That was the memento they gave to me oh, in wow. return. So... Very, very soon after, we were kings of the world, my buddy and I, riding back to Louisiana that night. Um, Very quickly, their names disappeared, Mm. right? Couldn't remember anything. You know what stuck for 30 years, Steve? One of them had said Deer Park. She had mentioned Deer Park to me. And back in 1990, I didn't even know where Deer Park was. Yeah, right. Right? But that stuck. And the magic of Facebook, social media in general, it's a sewer. (laughs) We know that. Here's what Facebook is good at doing. I took, I still have that keychain. So that's number one. I still have so the you evidence. Have evidence. You can I see, have the clue. You can see her. Right? And I was able to take my iPhone, go stand outside, <laughs> and aim that keychain at the sun and use my iPhone to take a picture of that little slide. Okay? <laughs> then I joined a group called Citizens of Deer Park. Six minutes it took. And I knew both of their names. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I posted the picture. I told a brief version of the story and said, does anyone here recognize these two young ladies who were so great to us 
that day. And in six minutes, somebody says, ha ha, and tags one of them. <laughs> she gets on immediately goes, oh yeah, that's me and my friend. And then it turns out that the friend is a Pearlander. She lives eight <laughs> minutes from my house. And we have, not, in that 30-year span, had never run into each other or spoken to each other. And I didn't even know their names at that point. I thought I had one name and I had it wrong. But they very quickly <laughs> corrected me. And had they kept in touch? Were they? Uh... They had kept in touch. They are still fairly good friends. They were Facebook friends for sure. Uh, one still kind of lived in the Pasadena area, and the other one lived right as a neighbor of ours. Huh? Can you believe that? We, she, and I, our neighbor, we had five friends in common. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that we didn't all play soccer together. And I just never knew that was that was her. Wow! But can you believe that? Does that happen? It happens in your it, world. I know, right? And that's <laughs> that's why you keep doing stuff because you're like, that was amazing. What else can we do? Right? You're on to the next. You're on to the yeah. next thing. But yeah, it feels like magic when you do stuff like that. <laughs> I'm over here, man. You're getting me all misty eyed over here. I it's mean, terrific. Is- <laughs> it's terrific. And I've I've stumbled across things like this before, and I, I can I can. They don't always have the magical ending, right? When you're on a radio show, you're able to tell it and you're, you're given goosebumps across the, the internet. But more often than not, it's still good. It's putting something good back into the world. We need, we need stuff like that, don't we? To I, hold yeah. on to, somebody to look out for us, somebody to bring it back around. <laughs> I think you said it perfect because uh, there definitely is a, a lot going on in the world. And, and it sounds like uh, minimally for a few moments... Uh, You've been able to, yeah, break all that and just have just a moment. Yeah. It, I mean, it can seem frivolous, right? It, it's not consequential. Or is it, right? Because if you're able to give something back to somebody and they remember those good times, right? It, it's something. You can't always quantify it, but there's something there that's, that's special, it is, and I think at a time when uh, you have people saying that we're more divided than ever, whether politically yeah. or, or the digital, you know, has us not talking in real space or whatever, it, it definitely is a reminder that yeah that we are connected. Yep. There's common threads, you know. I like to take a lot of pictures that you'll see this. If you follow the Bon Voyage, if you follow the Burger Tour, as much as I can do it, I take pictures of the restaurant with no people in the shot. And it's not just a privacy thing. And I haven't always been able to execute it perfectly. But the reason is, um, I want you to be able to put yourself in the image. I don't want you to get distracted by who's there and whether or not you know those people. And that can, is that, does that make sense? Oh, that makes total sense. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I can totally respect that and understand yeah. what you're saying. Because I think we do constantly just get in the who's that person or anything. Right. And you're able to give them that moment of just, yeah, right. just be in, be in yeah. this space. For Take a look through this window and remember what it was like. The, the, the single be- I used to work for the city of Pearland. And the single best day I ever had as an employee of the city of Pearland was when two park supervisors walked in. I was the marketing guy. They walked into my office with a box of photos, uh, developed it at Eckerd and Kmart and all that kind of stuff from back in the day and some negatives and uh, just different events and things. And one box of slides, one box of two by two Kodachrome slides. And I went whoop, right, as a magnet right to it. Right. <laughs> and I pulled one of them out. And I held it up to the fluorescent light in my office, and it was the intersections of Main Street and Broadway in Pearland in 1972. Oh, wow. And no, no people, but the cars and the corner drugstore that burned down years ago, right? That, you know, Lady Borden ice cream. And you could see it had been hit in the uh, early 70s or late 60s, it had been hit by a tractor trailer and a portion of it had been rebuilt and you could see the line where the colors of the brick changed and they were crystal clear, Steve, from 1972 <laughs> and it was a window into our local history. Yeah. And that's when it kind of hit me that that's, that's why those are so powerful. It's because you can put yourself right in there yeah. and there were... There were dozens of them. They weren't all that good, 
but a lot of them were. And the story behind that was they were taken by an employee of the city. Uh, Pearland was fighting annexation at that time. They oh, didn't wow. want Houston. There was one slide that had an artistic rendering of a monster with big scary teeth labeled <laughs> as Houston about to gobble up little Pearland. Oh, you're right? kidding. Yeah. And so we don't know who it was, but they were a skilled photographer. They knew what they were doing and they were taking pictures of the business, the tax base that existed in Pearland in 72. And most of those things are gone now. And we had stuff like two, one of the few that, that people were recognizable in it. We had two girls on horseback riding east alongside Broadway. So like you could see the street sign, Main and Broadway, and then there's these two girls riding horseback. And it's just, it's, it's magic, right? And if only every day we're at work, we're like that, right? But that's, and those, those pictures have lived on. Like I, I ended up publishing some for the park's Facebook page, but the Pearland Historical Society got hold of it. And they have the capacity of some very skilled friends of mine work there, have the capacity to scan them, digitally clean them up, take the noise out, blow oh, nice. them up, super yeah, high sure. resolution. They end up on the wall when Ronnie Killen, our local restaurateur, oh, sure. opens Killen's Burger. Ronnie is a Pearlander. Ronnie grew up here. Okay. And he has a love for Pearland history because it's his family history. And he put those <laughs> slides from 1972 were right above the order counter uh, when he originally opened Killensburg. I think he's moved them now. He's got different signs. But, I mean, that's kind of special. That is very, no, no, no kind of. That is no uh, kind of. Yeah, that is very, very special. <laughs> and fun, right? It's yeah. fun to be able to, you think that's like lightning striking, Right. Oh, I'm never going to. But you, you always hope for it, though. Mm -hmm. You always hope for that to come back around again. And you start to believe that as long as I don't stop looking, who knows what I'm going to find in somebody's attic or, you know, you start to get this. People will say to you, well, you're the only one. You're the only one I could think of when I found this. I thought of you. That that means something. Right. Bite, yeah. I'm, I'm safe harbor. Um, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll show it to people. Like I'm not a, I'm people accuse me of being a hoarder. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if the crazy know they're crazy. I have no idea. Um, but that's not how I see myself. I see myself as somebody who has a genuine love of all these things of storytelling. Ultimately, that's what I love the most. That's the common thread between history and comic books and genealogy and old buildings and everything else. It's the story of how that got there and who was there. And, and that's the part I love the most. Uh. Well, I can't thank you enough, Don, for uh, sharing your stories and sharing your passions. Oh, my and, pleasure. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, has it been a while since you've had one of these moments? Do you feel like you're on the verge of one coming up soon? Like a, yeah, you, like a, can tipping, you count? Yeah, a can tipping point. Uh, <laughs> I don't think about it that much. Okay. I really don't. The The latest thing was the, it was more uh, memorable to me personally, and it was the, the 80s, the records. Mm. Because that it was a trove of them. It was an instant collection, if you want to think of it that way, between the albums and, mm -hmm. and the 45s. But the, the great unknown, the great unknown of, of not knowing what's going to be there the next time you go. It wasn't there a day ago. Mm -hmm. So if you go today, it, that thing that you didn't even know existed until you see it. But you, the, the key is to, to act on it. You see it and you know it's something, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just see what it is. Let's open it up together and see what it is. Awesome. Well, I think that's a perfect note to end on. And I think that that is uh, where life should be. What is tomorrow bring? Man, voyage of discovery. Nice. Well, thanks everybody for uh, joining us. This has been uh, Donald Hayes, the uh, collector the pop culture historian and of course the bun voyage <laughs> missioner to uh find and uh so yeah look forward to uh seeing where uh, the next post goes i would definitely recommend following him and what is your handle again you can find me at facing backwards which is if you think about it is kind of that metaphorical i'm turned around looking back at the past mm -hmm. that's what facing backwards is so instagram and twitter at facing backwards awesome We'll leave it there. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Steve.
Today's music was brought to you by the great Texas band Dexter Freebish. The song, Tomorrow, featured on the album Life of Saturdays.